This is the Intrepid Double Seven Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Intrepid Double Seven Podcast. I hope you're all doing well. It's back, or she's back. That's what she said. Exactly. Confused? Don't be, because that's what she said is back. Um, and ramping up towards uh, No Time to Die, there will be another That's What She Said episode, a mega episode, encompassing the four Daniel Craig uh, episodes into one. But we have to move on from Daniel Craig. Well, at least temporarily. We're going into the Pierce Brosnan era. Um, of course, Daniel Craig era will kind of cross back over when we eventually do the That's What She Said, No Time to Die episode, which will also kind of serve as my review as well. But we're going back in time. And because 2020 is an important year in the world of Bond, it is the 25th anniversary of a very special movie, a movie that's very dear to most of our hearts, because for a lot of us, it was the movie that we grew up with. I'm talking about GoldenEye. Uh, now, I've already done one kind of GoldenEye-ish episode. I discussed it with um, uh, Being James Bond's um, Joe Darlington uh, a couple of months ago. So you've seen that video and you've heard that audio. Uh, I'm going to be talking about it too. And if you haven't already seen it, there's a video out uh, about the James Bond GoldenEye video game on Nintendo 64 and the version on the Nintendo Wii. Uh, so that's available now. Uh, that's also featuring Live and Let Drives or Bond on Wheels Carmine Rusco. Ruskito? Ruskito. I'll get that all straightened out when I speak to him later. Um, so GoldenEye is, is a very special film because it helped kind of relaunch the brand and relaunch Bond for the 20th century, not the 20th century, but for the next decade and brought it into the millennium. Uh, it kind of changed drastically from what we had with Timothy Dalton. Um, it's a movie that you have to remember that was kind of uh, wrapped up in the kind of legal battles and kind of issues that we're having now with Daniel Craig, with MGM and United Artists kind of having financial difficulties, uh, and there'd be money changing hands and companies changing hands and things like that. That kind of stalled and delayed the development of the 17th Bond film, kind of kept Timothy Dalton out and brought back Pierce Brosnan, who was supposed to actually take Timothy Dalton's place in the first place. So it was kind of a, a back and forth thing. Uh, so nearly 13 years later, uh, no, sorry, eight years later, uh, Pierce Brosnan finally got the stab at James Bond that he was supposed to get after the whole Remington Steel ordeal. Now, if you don't remember that, um, James Bond had, or sorry, Barbara Broccoli had cast Pierce Brosnan as James Bond for GoldenEye in the late 80s, mid 80s. Um, but technically, the studio and Remington Steel had the chance to kind of buy him back or, or there was an option to rebuy the series. And when they found out that Pierce Brosnan had been accepted as James Bond the day before the announcement, Remington Steel brought him back in. So he kind of was stuck with going back to that because he was under contract. Uh, and they had to kind of scramble to find a replacement. In comes Timothy Dalton, who was originally supposed to do more than the two films he did, but his contract actually expired in the early 90s, and because of the legal battles that MGM and United Artists had gotten themselves in in the beginning of the 90s, Dalton was out, and Pierce Brosnan was back in. Uh, 
Now, I have to note that Pierce Brosnan is one of my wife's favorite Bond character uh, actors. She's quite fond of him. When we're not watching a Daniel Craig movie, it's usually going to be a, a Pierce Brosnan movie that we're watching. And she likes them all. Um, Goldeneye, not necessarily particularly, but she does have some comments on it. And I do have some comments as well, and I have some criticism for Goldeneye, but... Um, Let's get right into it. I don't have as much notes on this one as usual because um, we were quite chatty at the beginning, but as the movie goes on, it's less about um, kind of the comments that we would have had in previous episodes and more just general observations that, that I kind of share with her. So to start off, um, basically we're, we're kind of starting off with some of the kind of stereotypical things from the movies and sound effects from there. Um, one of the first comments that I have here on my list is, I like the O sounds they make when they die. And that's kind of the stereotypical Foley artist reaction, the kind of uh, sound that they make when uh, they get shot and they die. Um, you can kind of tell that there's a lot of the overuse of maybe some sound effects and some overdubs, not unlike uh, Jason Bourne and their movies. Um, that's something that kind of became a lot of, very apparent when I started rewatching the James Bond, uh, James, sorry, the Jason Bourne movies recently and the series Treadstone is there is a lot of overuse of sound effects, especially in the fight scenes. Whereas in James Bond, it's kind of like the overdubs are kind of overdramatic. Anyway, so we start off with, you know, the whole, um, the whole uh, dam scene where he where he uh, jumps off the dam in the bungee cord. Um, there's kind of a joke made by my wife about uh, fellatio in the men's room. Um, you know, there's there's a joke to be made there. The guys on the toilet in the stall. It's just open for criticism. We get kind of get into the action sequence, and then we get to the part where. Uh, They've got Trevelyan captive and Jason, uh, Jason Bourne, James Bond is hiding behind the big um, kind of chemicals, uh, canisters, and he's slowly walking and pushing them forward and he's hiding. Um, and, you know, that was my wife kind of find that kind of amusing that the little slow walk and, you know, the guy shoots at the at the barrels and then um, Gorgoff just, you know, turns around and shoots him. That was kind of like a. Um, deadpan comic kind of thing. Now, we kind of advance and we get to, you know, farther off into the storyline. Um, we see Xenia on the top for the first time, uh, you know, driving her Ferrari. Um, she makes the comparison right away between Xenia on the top and Severin from uh, Skyfall. They kind of do have the same look, the same mascara and the same kind of, like, makeup and the same kind of dark and, you know, nice figure. Here's where I immediately start to kind of re-criticize GoldenEye as a story and as a film and all of that. Um, it's great. Um, but, and here's where the but comes in. Xenia on a top, Famke Jensen's accent in this movie just drives me up the wall. All of the Russian accents in this movie bother me because none of them are Russian. Um, Fabke Jensen is probably the closest thing to being Russian because she's part Polish, but her accent is really, really, really over the top. And 
this kind of falls into the same category as other stereotypes that I find in, in films with with Russians is that they, they really over-dramatize the accent. Um, I saw it recently in a film that is actually going to get reviewed for The Young and the Intrepid, um, The Spy Next Door with Jackie Chan. I'm not going to get into that now, but the Russians who are in that movie get this real stereotyped kind of accent. And that's okay if it's Rocky and Bullwinkle because that's what we expect. But when we're trying to portray a serious movie, um, you kind of need to dial that back a little bit. Uh, there are no Russians in GoldenEye. None, no Russians were harmed in the making of GoldenEye because they weren't in it. Um, I mean, Robbie Coltrane, who plays um, Zukovsky, not a Russian. He's actually Scottish. Um, Godfrey John, not Russian. Um what's her name, Isabella Skorupko is Swedish. Um, so maybe those kind of Nordic accents, but I mean, um, Alan Cummings, who plays Boris. Boris is one of my favorite characters. And Alan Cummings is a great character actor. I mean, everything I've seen him in, he's been, he's been wonderful. But he's got that stereotyped accent. The worst, though, is Minnie Driver. And my wife agrees her voice is irritating as hell. Um, there's a reason why Zukovsky says, who's, or, uh, or uh, I forget who says exactly, but the strangling a cat line, um, there's a reason they say it, because she's horrible, and she's doing it on purpose, but come on, there, there's a kind of a limit there. Now, there's kind of a, a comment here that I'm trying to place, and I'm looking at my notes, and there's... Uh, a note that I wrote here, and I'm trying to place it, so maybe somebody can help me with this afterwards, but what is this weird mime puppet shit? They can't have something normal? I don't know what she means by that. I don't remember the scene. Um, but what... Uh, anyway. Um, now, we get to the point where I think this is the first meeting between uh, Bond and M. And M gives the speech about uh, James Bond being this, you know, outdated misogynist dinosaur. It's a great speech. Um, you know that my wife has got a fondness for Judy Dench as M. She thinks it's an amazing character, and I completely agree with her. But uh, basically, her her um, her comment was the speech that M gave was amaze balls. And if you don't know what amaze balls is, it's from uh, Archer, I believe. Uh, if Edgar watches season two of e Archer, he'd understand this. Edgar, if you're listening. And make sure, if, if you guys aren't aware of the, the reference I'm making, Edgar Chaput from the James Bond complex is very severely against watching Archer season two, and we're very much trying to get him on board. So if you can help us out with that, all power to you. Uh, the rest of the movie kind of goes along at a normal pace. I mean, I think we've cleared up everything that kind of is irritating about the movie. The locations are great. Um, we both find it kind of silly how Natalia acts at the when they get to Cuba, the whole throwing a fit thing. That's kind of a little over-dramatized. Uh, we both enjoyed the tank scene. We both thought that scene was absolutely amazing. Um, some of the other things kind of don't really fit in personally um jack wade cia thing 
that could have been Felix Leiter. That could have been toned down a little bit. I didn't really enjoy it. I think my wife was a little indifferent about that. Um, she also is kind of indifferent about um, the general storyline. Um, I think the whole um, Leanne's Cossack thing is kind of lost on people. Um just to kind of briefly explain that. Well, I mean, they explained it in the movie, but just to kind of give you the Cliff Notes version of it, basically there was a group of Russians that um, were traitors and that they were returned by the Russians, uh, by the British, back to Russia, and they were persecuted and et cetera. So um, not necessarily the best situation, but I think it's kind of distant to make the link between Trevelyan and the Lienz Cossacks. I think that was kind of... You're bridging a generational gap there that I don't think that needed to be bridged. I think we probably could have approached it differently, and they could have made maybe made a a more recent allusion to it rather than go that far back because it was completely lost on me as a teenager, and it's lost on me now um, why that would be absolutely relevant. I mean, it seems kind of far for revenge. So I think these are the kind of concepts that are maybe lost on Double Wife a little bit because she doesn't really. You know, it kind of has to be straightforward, and I understand. I mean, it's it's not um, something that I really want to waste my time on either, and I it's it's lost on me, so I can imagine that it's lost on her. Um, and then from other kind of little bits and pieces that you can pick up, uh, Zinya on a top. I mean, of course, she's over the top, and the whole um, sexual murder thing. Um, I mean, as interesting it is to watch, it's kind of silly. It kind of seems like it would be more on par with Austin Powers than with James Bond. Um, and I think that's the general consensus for her as well. Um, not to say that she's not a good baddie, but she's kind of, you know, way out there. And it's maybe a little over-dramatized. I don't know. Um, and not to say I don't like Goldeneye. Like, I know I'm, I'm criticizing it a lot, and I criticize a lot of the movies I review on this podcast. But... Um, you know, I kind of like to point out the flaws and things. Um, just like the BMW. Uh, now, I know we talk about it in the Cigar Lounge videos uh, because uh, Nick Dunback does own a uh, BMW Z3. I didn't like that car as a Bond car. Um, I would have much rather seen him in something sportier than a Roadster. Um but then again, BMW didn't necessarily offer one at the time. Um, so, you know, I would have maybe put him in an M3. It would have been, maybe would have come off better. Uh, they do put him in a nice seven series later on. Um, but I, I'm not a big fan of the, of the Z3. Um, I think we could have done better than that. So that's kind of my criticism of Goldeneye. The strong points, the gadgets are great. Um, I love the Parker Jotter as a grenade. I've owned a Parker Jotter now for over 10 years, and I thoroughly enjoy that pen. Um, I actually lost the first one I owned, and I had to get a second one probably about three or four years ago. So I'm on my second Parker Jotter, and I use it uh, nearly every day. It's a, it's a wonderful pen. A lot of people have criticized me for it or made fun of me for it, but I really do like that pen for its connection to the movie and that subtle connection to the movie. Um, other kind of points about GoldenEye that I do enjoy is I do enjoy the storyline in general. I think it's good. There are some points where they could have maybe polished it a little bit better, um, but it is a good storyline. It is a good plot. Um, 
it's a good evolution of James Bond. It kind of shies away from trying to expose his backstory too much as we, we've been seeing with Daniel Craig and more going towards, you know, individual missions. You can pick up these movies uh, individually and watch them out of order. And besides the maybe the, the reference to M being different or being new, um, they're kind of interchangeable. Uh, the series uh, with Brosnan is great, and we're going to get to those um, shortly after. But uh, GoldenEye is, of course, the movie that I first saw in theater, so it is always going to have a special place uh, for me. I think it's... Um, the cinematography is kind of really basic. They don't really push the envelope too much. There's a lot of stunts, uh, and there's a lot of great set pieces. I think it's well-filmed, and I think it's the, the actors give a great performance aside from the fact that the accents are way too heavy. Um, that's really the only criticism I have with in an acting standpoint. Um, Robbie Coltrane is great. Alan Cumming is great. Um, the Bond girls are the ones that are the weak ones. Um, I love Anne K. Jensen. I think she's great in the roles that she's played. She did great in Zanyana Top. I think she was a great Jean Grey in the X-Men series. Um, Alan Cumming, just to kind of show you his versatility. Um, he plays Boris in that film, and then he plays later on, he rejoins Famke Jensen next to as Nightcrawler, uh, playing a German shapeshifter, which just kind of shows the, the versatility. He plays Loki in, I believe it's the second Mask movie, or some weird, you know, movie. He's also in Spy Kids, so... You know, he, he can play a variety of different roles, and he's great. Um, Gottfried John, um, as um, the general, is, is actually really good. Uh, pretty much all the actors who played the Russian parts as well were, were really good. Um, the Minister of, of Defense was uh, a decent actor, also not a Russian, uh, but Gottfried John uh, really played his role as Gogol well. Um, is it Gogol or is it, what am I thinking? I think I'm, uh, I'm, I'm getting mixed up with another movie here. Um, but you know, he played it, he played it well. He had the look, um, he had the, the presence, the, you know, of, of a great bad guy of a great kind of, you know, fake Russian general. Um, he's German. So you kind of do get the, the, um, oh, sorry, Oromov, Arkady Oromov. I'm way off. Um, he's great as Armov. He really is. Um, I mean, just his his presence and his. He, anyway, he he pulls it off great. Um, I also like to mention that she believes that the GoldenEye theme song is the best theme song um, of the series of the the, the Brazen era of films. And I think it kind of follows the trend of the kind of first. Bond song of a new actor uh, being their strongest and at least the last two because you have to admit that the Daniel Craig songs aren't as strong and she strongly believes that they weren't as strong but also um, some of the other songs that, that uh, Pierce Brosnan's era had weren't as strong either um, once we get to The World Is Not Enough we could discuss that then but I don't believe that their song was that great and I mean Tina Turner that type of singer um, really lends itself well to the Bond song uh, idea and I think that's what she wanted to express as 
she's got the musical background. My wife is a classically trained singer, um, so she brings that musical background that kind of has that uh, importance, I guess you could say, and, and knowledge of music. Um, and, you know, she, she recognizes that the Tina Turner song was a stronger song than, say, Billie Eilish's No Time to Die. It's one of those movies that, that I can pick up at any time and I can watch the whole way through and I, I still love. So um, that's it for this episode. There are going to be more episodes of That's What She Said, like I, like I mentioned earlier. Uh, we're going to go through Tomorrow Never Dies, The World Is Not Enough, my personal favorite Brosnan film. We'll probably watch Die Another Day. That one will probably be loaded with criticism. That'll probably have some of the best quotes of the entire That's What She Said series. That's my prediction. Um, but watch out for the mega episode that will probably be uh, available the week before No Time to Die comes out to kind of recap the Daniel Craig era in the world of, or in the mind of Double Wife, preceding No Time to Die, which is still on pace to be released in November. So... We'll see you then. Thanks for listening. Take care. And thanks for listening. You can find me on Instagram at 007 underscore Intrepid. The same for Facebook. And you can also find us on YouTube at The Intrepid 007. See you next time. Music by Incomptech. Copyright The Intrepid 007 Podcast.